We read scripture this morning from 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel 7. We'll read the chapter. We take as our text the last two verses of the chapter. We hear the inspired, infallible word of God. And it came to pass, when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about from all his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in an house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Shalt thou build me an house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought up the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I have walked with all the children of Israel, spake I a word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, Why build ye me not an house of cedar? Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with thee, whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. Moreover, moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. And when thou, thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with a rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Then went King David in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God. But thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? And what more can David say unto thee? For thou, Lord God, knowest thy servant. For thy word's sake, and according to thine own heart, hast thou done all these great things to make thy servant know them. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God. For there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, 
according to all that we have heard with our ears. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people, even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself, and to make him a name, and to do for you great things and terrible for thy land, before thy people, which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto thee forever. And thou, Lord, art become their God. And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as thou hast said. And let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, hast revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee in house. Therefore hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. And then here follow the two verses of our text. And now, O Lord God, thou art that God. And thy words be true. And thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Therefore now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it. And with thy blessing, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. We read God's word that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have the familiar interaction of David here with Nathan the prophet concerning the building of a temple. David had built himself a beautiful palace, and his desire now is to build a temple for Jehovah, a temple where the ark would be able to be kept and where God could be worshipped. Initially, Nathan says, David, go do what's in thine heart. But then God comes to Nathan the prophet, as we read, And sends Nathan now to David to inform David that David is not to build that house. Rather, God will build David's house. David's son will be the one who will bring about that wonder. But we realize that God is speaking here of far more than just Solomon and what Solomon will accomplish. God is speaking here about Christ. And the wonder of the seed of David, Jesus Christ, and his place in Israel. David is struck with awe. He's struck with amazement at the promise that God gives him. God is building my house. And not a house of brick and mortar, but a house that will involve covenant seed. That will live forever before God's face. And while God will provide again many children, one in particular, as the seed of David, will not turn away from God, but will reign on his throne forever. And the response of David is instructive for us. David is in awe. David is humbled as he stands before God. He looks at himself. He realizes, I've done nothing to deserve this. He realized he's done nothing to make himself worthy. He's been a sinner. He committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered Uriah the Hittite. He was guilty of 
innumerable sins as he stood before the living God. He deserved to die. And yet we read here that David goes and he sits before the Lord. Only time in the Bible that we have that terminology. Beautiful. David goes and he sits before the Lord. And now he pours his heart out to God in prayer. And we have here David, so to speak, at his best spiritually. Here's David on the mountain top of faith as he stands before the living God knowing his own unworthiness and the marvelous character and nature of God's promise. He doesn't even know where to begin. How does he respond to such a marvelous blessing? Who am I? What is my house? Is David's response. He talks then about God's faithfulness in the past. There's no complaining whatsoever about the fact that he's not going to be able to build God a house. There's only a marvelous wonder with regard to God's promise and God's faithfulness. And the sure mercies of David, which direct us to the Messiah, are evident here in all of its wonder and in all of its glory. A kingdom of salvation, a kingdom of eternal bliss, is that which Jehovah God will establish for his people. David responds then with, Confidence and with thanksgiving. He prays before God and we get a window into his soul and we see his true humility, we see the deep gratitude, we see his thankfulness, and we see the faith that's exhibited here as he puts his trust in God's word and in God's promises. Beloved, this this morning is your and my response. As we witness the sacrament of baptism, we hear God's marvelous word of promise. We hear the wonder that Jehovah God has pledged to forgive me all my sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, my beloved Savior. That Jehovah God has established covenant with me. That He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. And that He will dwell with me forever to all eternity. And that this great God, whose words are spoken are true. And God comes to you and God comes to me. And not only does he give us personal assurances with regard to our own salvation and our own walk with him, but he says, I will build your house. And to Dustin and Katie and to those of us who have presented our children for baptism, God says, I will build your house. I will establish my covenant with you in Jesus Christ. And I will embrace those children as my own in Christ, and bring them into the glory and the wonder of everlasting life. David's response then in these last verses of the chapter is to say, God, you've spoken it, now do it. And that's our response. God has spoken. God's words are true and faithful. We're weak. I'm sinful. I can't stand for a moment. But Jehovah God has spoken. And we lay hold by faith on his promise. And we cling to it. God's words, true and faithful, we take as our theme. Noting the Lord God, as David makes reference repeatedly to the Lord God. Noting the promised goodness that God speaks of here. And finally, the confident assurance. And now David says, O Lord God, thou art that God. As we noted, David stands in awe before God. And he confesses 
with these words, God, thou art God. Now, that seems simplistic. God is God. But in reality, beloved, that is a profound truth that we desire to wrap our minds around this morning. God is God. This isn't a mere truism where David repeats himself like saying, a car is a car. If a person said such a thing, we would say, you're not really saying anything. While we can define things that God created and we can define things that man makes, we cannot define God. God does not belong to this world. God does not belong to those things that are created. God stands distinct. He stands unique. And that's the point here of this passage. Jehovah God stands separate from everything that exists in this world. In His glory, in His majesty, there is nothing to which we can compare this great and glorious God. He reveals Himself through His Word, and so that we confess what we know about Him on the basis of what we read in the Scriptures. Now, beloved, this is a truth that is to be declared loudly and broadly. God is God. And this is the truth that the Church of Jesus Christ proclaims, that Jehovah God, He is unique. He is sovereign. He is almighty. He stands as one to whom nothing else can be compared. As a side note, the first of Reverend Hooksma's radio broadcasts on the Reformed Witness Hour, all the way back in October 12 of 1941, was based on Isaiah 43, verse 12. And he used this as his title, God is God. God reveals himself in Scripture as one who cannot be defined. All creatures are able to be defined based on their attributes and their characteristics and also their relationship to other creatures and to other animals or humans in the world in general. And we establish classifications and identifications for animals and for plants and for insects and for man. We group the categories of creatures into various categories, dogs and cats and cow, tree, and we're able to do so based on unique characteristics that all of these various animals or these various things that God has created convey. So that from that perspective, if someone would ask us, what's a pig? We would just say, a pig is a pig. That doesn't mean anything. That's not very helpful. But we're going to give a description of a pig. We're going to talk about the fact that it has four legs, that it has a small tail. We're going to talk about what color that pig is. And we're going to compare that pig perhaps to a cow and say it's smaller than a cow. And so that we use language to define and to lay out carefully characteristics and comparisons. Similarly, if Someone would say, what is a tree? We don't just say a tree is a tree. We say, well, a tree is tall. It has branches. The branches grow leaves. Fruit comes out of those branches at times, and so on. But now we stand before God. And as we stand before the living God of heaven and earth, what do we say? How do we compare God to everything that is here below? We simply are able to say, God, He's God. 
There's nothing to which we can compare Him. He's almighty. He's sovereign. He's majestic in all of His works and ways. And we merely can describe God then according to His attributes, which He reveals to us in His Word. We can't define God like we would define a creature or something created. He's the invisible, everlasting God of heaven and earth who dwells within His tabernacle. And there is none like unto Him. That's the truth that David now is impressed with. As Nathan comes to David and as Nathan expresses what God has revealed to him, that which convicts David is the greatness of the glory and the majesty of Jehovah God. God is God. Exalted above all things. Cannot be compared to anything. Why would He say anything positive about me? Why would He take interest in my house? He knows me. He knows that I'm a sinner. He knows that I'm a mere creature. Here today, gone tomorrow. In God's Word, God clearly reveals His greatness and His glory. That He is transcendent. He is exalted above all of the creation. God reveals Himself as the one who is unique, as Creator, whereas everything else in the creation is created. He formed. He fashioned everything for His own glory and for His own honor. And as the sovereign being, the only sovereign being, He rules then all things that He has created by His power and by His glory. He is the God of creation and He is the God of providence. Every single thing that occurs in our lives, everything that takes place in the world around us is from His hand. God is God. And that's an accurate, that's a high view of Jehovah God. No creature can create. No creature is able to sustain. Only God has that power. But even more than that, no creature is able to give life. Only God is able to do that. And what defines God in the greatest degree possible is not only that He created and gave life in the beginning, but then He recreates a people to Himself who have fallen in Adam, wondrously taking them now and working the wonder of redemption, paying the price that was necessary to purchase them out of their darkness and sin and death and hell in order to bring them into communion and fellowship with Him. No mere man can create. No mere man can redeem from sin. God is God. And the Spirit works in God's children that confirmation and that assurance that Jehovah, He is the God. He's Lord of all. And as Lord of all, we don't just speak that in an abstract manner. He's my Lord. He's the one that rules my life. He's the one that's dictated every single aspect of my life. He's the one that's ordained His will for every creature, not only, but for me and for my situation and my circumstance. He is God of every relationship. He's God in every area of life. 
We're daily tempted to look away from God and to look at ourselves. We're daily tempted to exalt ourselves, our own ability, especially in some areas of our life. Some men live as though there is no God. They don't think they're accountable to anyone. Romans 1 talks about those people. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Rather than extolling God as God, they turned to the creature and they extol the creature. And God has a response as to his dealings with such. He's not mocked. He gives them over then to the pursuit of their sin, their ungodliness, their wickedness. As they openly deny God and they pursue then the grossest of sins. Others, instead of openly denying God, identify God with this world. They deny the truth that God is God by saying, but God is in everything and God is everything. And so that God is identified with the creature. Not only does the New Age movement do that, but increasingly also we have that confusion that we see in the church world around us. That God and His being, His deity, is found in man or in animals or in creatures. God's greatness then, His glory, His uniqueness is denied. He's not separate. He's not highly exalted, but He's present in all things so that God actually is in those things. We confess God's intimacy with us, that God is with us, God cares for us, but we don't identify ourselves with God or with Jesus Christ. Philosophy talks about God as the first cause or the unmoved mover. Again, neither of these does justice to who Jehovah God is. They merely try to take man and try to make man great and glorious and extol man and perhaps try to think of a figment of man's imagination that might be great or glorious. But all of these stand in enmity against the the clear testimony of God in Scripture. God is God. Yet others would claim that their salvation is based on something they do. And they take the credit then for their salvation. The doctrine of God's sovereignty lays an axe to the root of that evil. It declares, I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. Verse 13. God is the one who establishes covenant. God is the one alone who is able to preserve and to keep covenant. I have declared, I have saved. Isaiah 43, verse 12. And especially that beautiful passage in Romans 9, verse 16. It is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. There's no salvation from outside from ourselves. There's no salvation from anything other than Jehovah. Jehovah, he is God. Now David here is involved in prayer in the words of our text. He's now speaking to this great glorious God. And he's confessing Jehovah is the true God alone. 
Beloved, this is the fruit of God's grace in the heart of God's elect children. God works this wonder so that we as his children confess God. We confess the greatness of his glory. We stand in awe that he is the creator and the redeemer. We come into his presence with humility as David does. Now, how do we know this God? How do we know the greatness of his glory? It's only through Jesus Christ. If you want to know something about God and about his love and about his covenant faithfulness, then you look at Christ. And that's what the sacrament directed us to this morning. We look at not just a child having water sprinkled on his head. We look at Christ and the wonder of Jesus Christ and the marvelous work. Jesus Christ gave his life for us. He shed his blood. He took upon himself the punishment that we deserved. And as a result, I know the love of God. A love so great, a love so marvelous, a love beyond comprehension. A love that causes me to stand in awe and to say, God is God. There's nothing that I can add to his glory. There's nothing that I can express that would extol His goodness and His love. He has made it known in Jesus Christ. And David here is given a revelation of God in Jesus Christ as he speaks to David about the wonder that God is raising up a king and that God will raise up that one who will be on the throne to all eternity. This isn't just talking about David's physical seed. This is talking about Christ and the marvelous place that God will give to Jesus Christ. And David understood that. That comes out in verse 19. And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God, but thou hast spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. He realized that God was speaking here of something that was marvelous. Not only that David and his household would be able to live before God forever, but the wonder of God's establishing His throne forever. That could only be possible through a marvelous wonder. And that would be the wonder of a Messiah coming from David's seed. It's in Jesus Christ that God shines in all of His glory. And that's where our hopeful expectations are found. God is God in Jesus Christ. And as we witness the sacrament this morning, and as we stand before the living God and His Word and His promises, this is our response. This God is my God. This God is faithful. He is the God who has chosen to Himself a people merely of grace for the sake of His own glory in order to preserve and to keep them now unto Himself to all eternity. And He won't leave and He won't forsake those whom He has chosen. The promises of God are sure because God is almighty. He is sovereign. He is all faithful. And he is the Lord of heaven and earth. All strength belongs to him alone. And as he controls and as he governs everything that's taking place in this world, this great God is not limited. There's nothing he is not able to do. David lays hold upon that truth. Nothing can stand in the way of God. Now God in His providence leads us into circumstances where we're tempted to question that. We're tempted to doubt and to wonder how is it that God could ever 
bring good out of this situation or out of this circumstance. God is God. He is God eternally with no beginning, no ending. And He's always God. And He's the one able and willing to turn all things together for our good and for His glory. No matter how much time passes, this great God will accomplish all His purpose. Now, beloved, what does this confession mean in your mouth and in my mouth? This is an expression of praise. This is an expression of worship. We not only exalt His name, but we live out of this joyful confession. And one can sense the joy of David here. God has given to David the revelation of God's faithfulness and David stands with unspeakable joy before this great and glorious God. This God is my God. And this God has pledged His love and His faithfulness to me. There is none that can stand before Him. The devil can't disrupt His purpose or His plan. My sin, no matter how great it is, cannot stand in the way of the purpose of this great and glorious God. He is God as the sustainer and the preserver of His children. He is God in my marriage. He is the God of my children. He is God in all my entertainment. He is God in my home. He's God with regard to my work, my schoolwork, my study. He is God in every aspect of my life. He's the one ruling and governing all things. He is God with regard to my money and the decisions that I make with regard to that money. He's the God with regard to the training of my children. And the fact that I confess this God is God of my body, of my eyes, of my hands, of my feet is not a burden. Beloved, this is a delight. This is a joy. We stand in awe as we seek more and more to worship Him and to honor Him and to glorify Him in everything that we do and say. We do so not as those who view ourselves to be limited, but as those who rejoice in the glorious victory that is ours in Him. And we submit to Him as God alone. And we lay hold upon His promised goodness. Thy words be true, and Thou hast promised this goodness unto Thy servant. This great God comes to His children and He speaks promises of goodness. Not evil, but good. And as David stands before God, knowing that he's a sinner who deserves to die, God now says, I'm going to build your house. I'm going to preserve your seed to all eternity. I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to maintain and keep you. What goodness. And everything that God says is true. Whether it's something that happened in the past, whether it's something that has to do with the present, or something that has to do with the future. God's word is true. And that's what David lays hold on now. Because God is God, His words are true. And that which characterizes His words is goodness, mercy, love. Now David is looking back at God's words as they go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3 after the fall. 
He's looking back to God's words as they came to Abraham. As God said to Abraham, I will be your God. And I will be a God unto you and to your seed. He's looking at God's words as they came to Samuel. As those words came through Nathan the prophet now to David. All of those words that God has spoken. He's speaking here of the goodness that he knows is his now. And also all the promises that God has made with regard to the future. That God's children would be as the sand of the seashore, innumerable. That they would be as the stars in heaven without number. All the promises of God with regard to His care for, His provision of His church. Every word that comes from the mouth of God is good. It's true. All that Nathan has just declared to David is true. Now David, by faith, lays hold upon that. But it's like David is in awe of that. He can't completely fathom how it could be true for him. And yet he lays hold on it. As unbelievable as this is, what God has just revealed to him, that God will build his house, and that God will cause it, that his seed will stand before the living God forever, it comes from the mouth of God. And therefore, it's true. God has spoken. And it will come to pass. All those words are true. The possibility of God's word failing is none. God's word cannot and will not fail. It will not fade. Now in that regard, again, we have a contrast between God and us. Our words are not faithful. Our words so often are not true. We speak. We make promises. We break them. We tell someone we're going to do something. We don't show up. Others stand us up. Our words fall to the ground, but not God's words. God's words are sure and true. And David's able to look back and see that. God is correct in that. He took David out of the sheepfold. He made David a king. God has taken David and God has brought David to places that David could never have imagined. God set David before Goliath and gave him the power to kill Goliath. God has been with him. God has set David before the Philistines. And God has used David to accomplish victory after victory so that Israel now knows peace. And now as God speaks about the future... David knows God's word is true. God's promises are sure. The eternal son will come on an unending throne. And David then is praying a prayer of absolute confidence as he stands before God. And that's the fruit of faith. Faith gives us to know God and faith works in us the confidence with regard to God and his promises and his word. If God's word is sure, then God's promises are certain. And so David goes forward then without any doubt about God and about God's faithfulness. God promises goodness. God promises mercy. God promises compassions. God will bring it to pass. He will not withhold it, but he will pour it out in all of its wonder upon his children. My mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, God says in verse 15. God's mercies and God's compassions fail never. Beloved, this is the word of God again to you and to me as his covenant children. God comes to you and God comes to me and God says, I will be a God unto you and to your seed. 
God says, I will build your house. He comes to us through baptism and says, your sins are forgiven. Every last sin you've ever committed, every last sin you ever will, forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. And what's our response? We repent. We turn from that sin. We're moved to humility. We confess Jehovah God came for me, a sinner. He came for the ungodly. And I'm numbered among those who are the ungodly. And I confess then the joy of forgiveness and the wonder of that gift of God's presence. God assures us as we stand before the daunting responsibility of training children and bringing them up in his fear in these evil days. I'm with you. And I'm not just with you. I'm with your children. And I will establish and keep covenant with you and with them in their generations. You're weak. You can't stand for a moment. The devil is powerful. The world around us would swallow us up in a hurry. But your strength is in the fact that I am God. And my word is true. And that word is a word of goodness. It's a word of mercy in Jesus Christ. Again, beloved, who am I? I'm a sinner. I deserve everlasting destruction. What have I done to deserve God's goodness and God's mercy? Nothing. Every single day I fall far short of being faithful to this great God. But what's the only explanation for my life? God's goodness. God's mercy. God in His mercy and His kindness will not deal with me as I deserve, but He washes me. He cleanses me. He works repentance in my heart. And He gives me the grace to know that forgiveness. This is the confidence with regard to the future. So that David not only looks to the past, he then also meditates on the present and he looks forward to the future. And David's word then in this prayer is, For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, hath revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee in house. Therefore hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. He says, And now God... You've said it, now do it. And that's the confident assurance with which David goes forward and with which we go forward. Let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant, that it may continue forever before thee. David confesses, I'm a servant of God. He's my Lord. David falls on the promises of God and he lays hold on them by faith. He clings to them. This is his only hope. This is his only confidence as he goes forward. He delights to be governed by a God of such power, such mercy, and such faithfulness. He delights to be numbered among the family of this glorious God. And he confesses that he's done nothing to make himself worthy. But now, in response to God's promise, he will go forward by faith, clinging to that promise and living out of the covenant calling that God has given him to be thankful. Beloved, this is only true because, again, of Jesus Christ and his faithfulness. He's the head of the covenant. He's the one who established that covenant so that it could not be broken. Adam failed. Jesus would not fail. And all our life, all our hope is found in that king 
who established the throne of David forever, who is our joy and our hope. We know him. We have fellowship with him. He formed us from before the foundation of the world. He fashioned us into his children. He's the one who conforms us into his image by his spirit. And we're his friends. And we walk before his face with joy and with delight. And that truth concerning God, his faithfulness and his promises, deepens our adoration of the Most High. It magnifies the wonder of his grace. And we cry out. We cry out in worship and in praise. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Psalm 115, verse 1. And beloved, this truth serves then as the solid foundation for all of theology, for all of the study of God's word. This truth is the solid foundation for the whole of my life in the midst of this world. There's no progress in religion. There's no progress in sanctification apart from confessing Jehovah God as the supreme God, alone worthy of all worship and all praise. And God not only begins, but then He brings to His goal the wondrous work of salvation in the hearts and lives of His children. This truth is the truth that bolsters us in the midst of our sorrows and struggles. And we press on knowing that God is faithful as the Alpha and the Omega. His word is true. I am prone to go astray. I am prone to fail. But my hand is in the hand of my good shepherd who holds me tight, who leads me by his infinite power and majesty. And I'm not going to fear then what men might do. I don't have to be afraid of what the devil can do with me. I am in the hands of Jehovah God Almighty. King of kings, Lord of lords. And I go forward then, trusting in Him and His word, His promise. And beloved, this truth assures us of victory. The conflict between good and evil rages in the world among us, around us. It's intensifying. It causes us all kinds of fear as we look at our children and great-grandchildren. But the battle's been decided. God is God. His kingdom will not fail. His purpose will not fail. He is not a man. He is God. And He will bring it all to pass, even as He has determined. With thy blessing, David says, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. Now there's this question that rises in the minds of some. If God has promised something so great, why would we need to pray about it? Why would we need to pray for it? Notice, That question doesn't even rise in David's mind. It doesn't even rise in the hearts and lives of God's children. David doesn't ask that question. David realizes, as we do, that God's promises prompt us to prayer. God's promises move us to humility, to awe, to reverence. God's word drives us to our knees in prayer and praise. The Christian father falls on his knees and clings to God's word of promise, knowing God's need, knowing his need for God's strength. And he offers prayers of blessing. He looks to God for strength on the basis of what God has promised. He desires that he and his children live before the face of God forever. He prays this prayer with fervency. Lord God, let thy blessings come upon 
my house, not because of anything of myself, but to correct the wrong, to increase the right, to strengthen my faith in thee alone, and all for Christ's sake. And he realizes this isn't a right that he has, this is a privilege. And in that humility stands before the living God, in humility and in prayer. God builds his covenant home by home. He calls to himself his children. He establishes with them an everlasting covenant of friendship. As God's children speak these words, and as we fall before our covenant-keeping God, we do so with joy. We do so in awe of his faithfulness. And as we consider what God has done, as we look forward to what God promises to do, we're humbled. It's all of God, nothing of self. And we're thankful, and we're stirred then to thankful worship. In the circumstances of our lives, no matter what the circumstances, whether it be that God has not given us a spouse or has, that God has given us children or not, we stand in awe of God's covenant faithfulness and His loving kindness. And when the providences of God in my life seem to go against His promises, by faith, I lay hold on His promises and on His Word. When the way seems hard, it seems impossible, we cling to those promises. And it's this truth that puts wings on our prayers as we come into the presence of the living God. He is my Father in heaven. And I come before Him and I stand before Him confessing His goodness, His faithfulness. That He has taken me and that He gives to me to know this word of promise moves me to worship and praise. How great this God is. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we with David join in the prayer. Thou hast said it, now bring it to pass. We know, Lord, that's the heart of our prayers as we lay hold upon Thy word and Thy promises and as we cling to them by faith, believing Thou art God and Thou art my God and Thou art the one who loves me with an everlasting love in Jesus Christ and the one who will preserve and keep me in the hollow of thy hand, that nothing can separate me from the wonder of that love, in order that I might live before thee to all eternity in that worship and praise. Lord, what great things thou hast done for us. May we stand in awe and thankfulness and worship. Amen.